Go ahead and kick us off, Shane. Today is brought to you by the letter F for Friday, because that's the day today, and the number pi. Our sponsor today is Albert's Deodorant Stone, carved from the foothills of the Wichita. Why use chemicals when you can scrape a rock on your armpit? Very nice. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Hold On, I'm Almost There. A show about life's little annoyances, personal growth, dad life, and so much more with your hosts, Frank and Shane, a.k.a. Grassel. So have a seat, do them chores, or twist a wrench while we dive down the rabbit hole. You laugh at me every single time. (laughs) (laughs) I I love the way you say that. (laughs) Today's... Today's guest, I'm so excited to introduce. He's a husband, a father, community leader, pastor to prisons, the downtrodden and forgotten, and just so happens to be the chaplain for the Houston Rockets. Please welcome Pastor Icky Soma. Hey, hey, welcome to our, our little show, sir. Awesome. Excited to be here. We're really glad to be here with y'all tonight. Excellent. So today's topics include what's on your running playlist? How do we find forgiveness? How do we battle our inner demons and get through that? What kind of prep work do you do for your sermons? What would be the genre for the movie? Ah, I messed that one up. What would be the genre? If they, if, no, here we go. There you go. If they made out. a movie about your life, if they made a movie about your life, what would be the genre and who would play you? There you go. Thank you, Shane. What job would you take if you joined the circus? One of my favorite interview questions. We're going to ask Mr. Soma that today. How to deal with the root and not just the fruit. So one of his uh, sermons that I happened to catch on YouTube, it was great, reached out to me. We're going to ask him a little bit more about that. A new one that I wanted to introduce tonight is going to be memory burn. We all were there. We happen to remember, but sometimes it gets a little wavy. Was it really happen or did we make it up in our minds? Um, And then in our dad's corner, uh, another one of Mr. Soma's uh, sermons talks about how more is caught than taught. So as we're talking about being a dad, our actions speak way louder than words. So what you're doing with your kids is exactly what they're going to reenact later on. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Boom. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Close the damn door, man. You're letting all the Wi-Fi out. (laughs) That's what's up. All right. So, uh, do you run, Shane? Sometimes, yeah. I've been known to run. Yeah, when you're out in the countryside? I, when I'm when I'm being chased by a bear, brother, and you got to stay prepped and ready because you got to be able to beat the other guy. I'm not out running the bear. I'm just running out out running you, son. There you go. And I'm nimble. So, no, you're not. I've seen you run before. It's sad. 
<laughs> so, Mr. Sama, uh, I, I did read on Twitter that uh, you do like to do some cross-country running. Um, what's on your playlist? What are you listening to as you run? Yeah, great question. So uh, I like uh, Lecrae, the Christian hip-hop artist. So I listen to Le a lot of Lecrae. I uh, also grew up in the um, rapcore era, so I love a lot of like P.O.D. and Linkin Park and uh, a little bit of Limp Biscuit as well. So I love rapcore, so I listen to that. Depends on my mood. If I'm going for a nice chill run, I listen to some Bob Marley, UB40, some reggae, Modest Yahoo. Um, yeah. A lot of podcasts and sermons as well. Um, so I listen to guys like Tony Evans and James Meeks and Matt Chandler. So really depends on the mood. If I'm going for a long run or a really hard workout that needs to get, you know, get me all hyped up. So, you know. How about uh, you mentioned a lot of bands that were influenced by Rage Against the Machine. Why don't you just go to the source, brother, and get some rage? <laughs> you, you know what? I, I need to get that on my playlist. Yeah, I forgot about Rage. Um, so here's here's the thing. I think so I had a friend of mine who was, I used to lift weights with in high school and college, and he loved Rage Against the Machine. And I think I actually OD'd on Rage Against the Machine to the point where like, uh, man, I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of listening to this because it was really like forced on me, I guess. Right. I'm the yeah. same way with Metallica and, and Pantera. I used to ride with a buddy doing the drag on Friday nights in high school, and that was all he listened to. And they're both wonderful, great artists. I can't listen to it because yeah. that's all I heard for like four years. Not even bluegrass style? Like if they did Pantera bluegrass, I'm you're, down. Not, you're not there. I'm down. I'm down with that because if if you're gonna give me bluegrass anything, I'm there. Give me bluegrass Billy Holiday. I don't care. Hey, I would listen to that. Yes, somebody needs to do that. Whoever's yeah. listening to this, that's your new gig, man. Go out there on YouTube and do some bluegrass Billy Holiday. You'll get a lot of followers. At least two. At least two. Yes. At least two. So make that uh, three. Make that three. I would three. Just it is comedic effect of wanting to hear something like that so yeah okay no it's good like go out there and check out uh steel or was it iron horse great cover of rocket iron man horse. um it's, it's phenomenal i didn't think i would like it it just happened to come up in my little playlist on youtube and i clicked on it and from the get-go man that guy's got some pipes on him that's good stuff you can't not you can't not like bluegrass covers of songs that you're familiar with I mean, you know, uh, that tiny guitar that people are strumming eh, can get a little annoying after a while. But I mean, one or two songs the, here and there worked for me. Do, do you mean the mandolin? Sure. Whatever you want to call it. Bro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can put titles on whatever you want, man. It's still a little guitar. Frank, what? <laughs> Frank, what? <laughs> what's your uh, what's your running playlist, man? And And how often do you run? Um, I, you know, I just started running again. I was up to three miles. I would do three miles every Saturday. Um, and I started running with my dog. She was all about it. She's a cattle dog and she needed to go out there and run. So I was like, you know what, we're going to go out and exercise together. Um, so I was up to about three miles, but I would usually listen to a, a very wide range. If it wasn't, uh, listening to a book, um, I love listening to my audio books. Um, I was listening to just randomized music that I would find on either iTunes or making, um, you know, YouTube playlists. And, you know, that that may or may not have been how I stumbled across that bluegrass. So it just popped up and I was like, oh, OK, here we go. We're on a ride, you know. Um, 
So what's the song when it comes on? You it, you it, it it gets you. You get it. It gets you. It it gets you to that next level of running. You know to break uh, through. Because for me, after about uh, after the one mile mark, I, I finally hit a level where I'm warmed up. And after three miles, I'm like, okay, now I can actually run. But that third mile, man, is brutal for me. So I've got to have something that's going to pump it. What's what's that song for you that that oh, it, when it man. comes on, you're like, we're there. Mm, that would have to be um, probably Hendrix. Anything Hendrix that comes on, Purple Rain or Purple Rain. That wasn't Hendrix. That uh, was Prince. But Purple there's, Haze. There's, I like Prince too, man. I jam out to Prince. some Prince. He was the amazing. Batman, Batman soundtrack. Throw it on there, dude. I'm down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Batman number one. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm listening to, you know, audiobooks. One of my all time favorite audiobooks was Man on the Mountaintop. It was about this, uh, little, uh, this little man that he was a monk. He lived on a mountaintop and people would come from miles and miles or around the country to come and talk to him. He gave everyone a minute. Um, and he timed it perfectly. You knock on the door, he answers the door, he gives you a few seconds. As he walks you in through the house, you know, you, you've got your second count there, and then as he says goodbye to you at the door, depending on what your personality or if you, you were, um, you know, maybe you needed a little bit more time, he would give you an extra seven seconds and, you know, say a good goodbye to you. Um, but it was great, taught me a whole lot about, um, perspectives and really trying to empathize with other people. Um, it was a really, really interesting story. Um, that or the alchemist, I, I can re-listen to the alchemist over and over and over again. Um, great books. Um, so with that kind of takes us right into without having, oh, to I, don't, I don't get to, really. I don't get to do my songs. You did. You said you were like, okay, go no, ahead. I, fine. I'm, my crying. songs. My, my, my playlist when I run and I don't run very far because I've already usually gone to the gym and, and beat myself into a pulp. But, uh, right now when I run, I'm digging war on drugs, the strokes, Led Zeppelins and turnpike troubadours. I don't think I've ever heard of war on drugs. What are they saying? Ah, yeah. uh, they're, 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 they're a very throwback, man. They're very nice, very soothing, but very complex. And they've got this cool eighties throwback. It's like all these people that try and do eighties throwback and um, they use all these synthesizers. This guy is like, if you took the spirit of some of the best artists in the eighties and they just happened, he just happened to live in the two thousands with the kind of technology and instrumental wisdom that you have now. It's, it's worth a listen, man. That guy's the, it, I don't remember his name, but he's pretty dope. I'm down with it. Okay. Are you happy? You got your two seconds. Thank in? you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be excluded. Frank. Yeah. Man. Exclude, you know, exclude the white guy. I mean, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. True. Yeah. Put your hat on backwards and maybe we'll talk. No, no, no. I'm not Tony Romo. I'm a grown man. I wear my hat the right way. <laughs> All right. So butterscotch now that Shane got his 30 seconds of chat. Uh, so we're going to roll right into finding forgiveness. Um, so as, as we said earlier, um, Pastor Soma, uh, he, he goes out and he's, you know, talking to anyone and everyone that would lend an ear. So, you know, 
I'm sure you're, you, you talk to a lot of people in, you know, they're maybe they're broken on the inside and they're lashing out to others on the outside. How do you help somebody find the path to forgiveness within? Yeah. So, um, I would say that we're all broken, uh, on the inside to some degree, uh, some greater than others. And, um, you know, I, I'm also doing a lot of prison ministry, been doing that for 25 years. And, you know, we look at them and say, these are broken men or broken women. Uh, but very often, you know, society has condemned them. Their families perhaps even have condemned them and they even condemn themselves. And so the central message for me, for them is, hey, before you get things right with society, your family, or even yourself, you have to make sure that you've been forgiven by God. And that word forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Uh, we often say forgive and forget, but it means to no longer hold the offense against that person. And so that's why Christ came. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross so that people could be forgiven for all their sins and be made right with God, have a right relationship. And so, again, whether you're inmate serving life or you're a guy on the street or a CEO or a manager of Whataburger, I mean, we all need that message, the fact that uh, a perfect God, absolutely perfect God, we've offended and we need forgiveness from him. And so that's why Jesus Christ came, so that we can find forgiveness uh, in God. So that's the first part. And then once you know that, that here's a God who's absolutely perfect, that has forgiven you for all your sins, past, present, and future because of faith in Christ. You know, now you can forgive yourself and you can forgive other people uh, because obviously we're not perfect. And yet, you know, if a perfect God can forgive us, then we can forgive uh, others imperfect as we are. So I would say that's probably the starting point for all forgiveness. Matter of fact, I met with a couple last night who was going through just a horrific time. Uh, something absolutely terrible has happened to them. And I said, the first thing you got to do is forgive. And so I just walked them through um, that process like I just shared. So, yeah, that's 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 heavy. That's heavy. I, you know, I'm, I'm, God bless me with the ability to go to sleep and forgive everybody for what happened that day and wake up anew. Um, and I've recognized since I was a little kid that, that, that was a unique gift. Um, unfortunately he didn't bless me to be able to forgive myself, but I'm great at forgiving other people and I'll give myself a hard time for the rest of my life. And when I get up there, um, maybe he can show me the error of my ways, but, uh, uh, I think the biggest gift God gave us with Jesus is that recognition of forgiveness, the ability to forgive and to be forgiven. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a core of the Christian mes message. Yeah. And I, I really think, you know, that like you said earlier, it, it is not just forgive and forget and just move on. It it really has to be something you're willing to let go of. Um, letting go of, of that type of weight, it takes a lot of time. This isn't something that generally happens overnight, I would think. Um, you know, and, and without getting too heavily into it, you know, you know, maybe you want to touch or touch on some of the um, inmates that you talk to, you know, how are they um, learning to maybe forgive themselves or even what, what are the conversations like around that? Right. Cause we're all, maybe we're, maybe we're not calling it forgiveness, but we're all looking for that hole to fill in ourselves. Um, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's money, whether it's pleasures, what have you, um, there's there's always a hole in us that we're trying to fill, and sometimes it, it's just a, a forgiveness that that we're missing. 
Yeah. So um, the philosopher and scientist Voltaire, who we've named Volts after, said that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl has a God-shaped vacuum in their hearts. So there's a emptiness there that we try to fill with pleasure, with all those things you just mentioned. Um, so I think on top of that, I, I just find this, and this was my hot button issues, and that's why I love this uh, podcast, Challenging Dads and Encouraging Dads, is fatherlessness. So, you know, the stats say 90 plus percent of men and women who are incarcerated uh, were raised by uh, a mom. They didn't have a father in the house. And so there's something, I don't know, Frank, you've studied the psychology of it. It's called father ache in which there's a missing piece in the child's life. And that father ache doesn't create a sharp pain, but creates this dull absence or this pain. Um, and that's what I found with a lot of inmates. I, I was at um, Harris County Jail about two years ago, uh, preaching on fatherlessness from Ephesians 6. And uh, the room of about 30, 40 men, I mean, it was a movie scene. I mean, the tattoos, I mean, they're all gigantic hell, Hell's Angels looking guys and gangbangers and all that. And at the end of it, I just said, hey, you know what? Um, one of the roles of the father is to bless their sons. And so I was there with one of the chaplains who was probably like 75, 80 years old. And I said, hey, we want to bless you now. And I know, you know, at the time I was like 46. And I said, I know I'm not old enough to be your dad, but I just want to bless you. And this room full of hell's angels looking, gangbangers, black, white, Hispanic, everybody. I said, if you want to be prayed over, would you stand up? And almost the entire room, I think there's two guys that remain seated out of 40 guys. And I mean, they're bawling. These men are crying, like weeping, uh, because they sense that ache or that missing piece in their lives. So I think for a lot of the inmates, I don't think this is the sum of, of, of their issues, but one of the issues I see is fatherlessness. And, you know, now in America, four out of 10 homes are headed by women and children are growing up without a father. So this is something I think is needed. Again, on top of that God-shaped vacuum, that hole that uh, can only be filled by God. So, Absolutely. You know, and that's that's one of the other things is, you know, anybody listening out there, yeah, this is for dads, but you know what? There's some moms out there that are trying to pull double duty. Um, they're doing the best that they can. It, you know, if, if you're in that position, I'd really love to have you on the show as well. You know, uh, reach out to us and and maybe we can get you get you on the show and, you know, talk a little bit more about that because, you know, wow, that's that's a it's it's a challenging uh, field to take on by yourself. And there's a lot of women out there doing that. And, you know, kudos on them for that. Cause it's, it's tough enough. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, that's, that's a, that's one of the major reasons that I asked you to be on the show is because of your outreach into the forgotten, you know, cause as, um, you know, people in prisons or people, felons, things like that, we we might turn our noses at them and and look away when we're just as broken. They're just we're just you know like you said in one of your sermons we didn't get caught, um, and you know that's just how it goes down. Um, and and maybe they're they're there for a reason um, outside of anything we could ever fathom. Um, and just everything happens for a reason and it's just mysterious to us because we cannot comprehend, or at least that's how I see it. Broken um, spirit, a broken spirit breaks until God reaches in and mends it, man. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that throws us into our next topic is, you know, what kind of prep work are you doing for your sermons? How do you mentally prepare for when you're going to go into one of these jails to, to, um, 
you know, to do a sermon or to uh, talk to these folks, because that's got to be, you know, just... I, I don't I, I can't even find the words for it. You know, that's, that's, that's very heavy on your soul. That's very heavy on your, on your brain. How do you compartmentalize after you've left? Cause I'm sure listening to these stories are just unforgettable. Um, what do you do? What does that look like? Yeah. So, um, typically I, um, get away in August for about a week and I pray and kind of plan for the whole year. So um, I pastor a church called Bayou City Fellowship of Spring Branch or at Spring Branch. So I'm actually getting ready to go away for about a week and plan for 2021. And then included in that is various outreaches to the to the jails and the prisons. And so usually I'll plan those out. So I look a whole year ahead and ask the Lord and talk to other people who are leaders or members of the church saying, hey, what are some needs that you see in our congregation? So some may say, hey, there's a lot of broken marriages right now. People struggling in marriage. Maybe a series on marriage would be good if people say, hey, uh, I know some people who are dealing with some financial issues. Maybe a whole series on finances would be good or maybe something more spiritual or directly spiritual where they would say, you know what? A lot of people are struggling about, you know, the what's the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. So maybe a series on the Holy Spirit or a book of the Bible, uh, on Matthew, which is about the kingship of Jesus. Maybe you do something on that. So that's what I usually do. Um, and then with the inmates, so I take the Bible, which is a 2,000-year-old book, and then obviously translate it and make it contemporary to this audience. And obviously, inmates are a different audience than a church, you know, in West Houston. Um, so even a couple of years ago, we had a Christmas uh, service there, and Jesus appeared first, not to kings and princes and business leaders and CEOs and all that. He actually appeared to shepherds. And we, we hear that story all the time. He appeared to shepherds, right? Shepherds in the field. And we sing the songs, but we don't know the context. Well, shepherds in biblical times were basically outcasts. Uh, they were people who obviously smelled like sheep, and they were usually out all alone in the field. And it, it was like one of those things that it, you had ranked the list of jobs that you wanted to do. Shepherd was at the very bottom. So if a man or a young man became a shepherd, he would often be ostracized by his family. Um, and since he was out in the field often by himself, they became known for kind of like the boy who cried wolf, that they would never tell the truth. So they would never be allowed to speak in court as a valid witness because of that. So they were outcasts. So here I am speaking to a group of about 300 men. And I said, hey, how many of y'all feel like an outcast? Because you are now in prison. You've been charged. You've been indicted. You have a sentence. Uh, you know, by your family, ostracized by your family, ostracized by the world, off, uh, you know, ostracized by society, you know, and I, and I mean, all the hands are up. And I said, hey, you know what? If Jesus Christ came back today, he wouldn't come back to famous pastors or come back to CEOs and the leaders in town. He would actually probably come back to this prison right here because he first appeared as an infant to uh, the shepherds. That was his first witness. And so Instantly. I mean, the wall just came down. You can see the, the inmates, their guard came down. And I said, that's who God came for. He came for the least, the marginalized and the forgotten and the ostracized. Uh, and that's why he's here today. So um, or that's why I'm sharing about him today. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the context. I try to make sure that the message fits the context that I'm in. Typically, a sermon takes 15, maybe 20 hours to prepare. Wow. So, uh you know, I went to grad school for it, you know, no Hebrew, no, no uh, Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. And um, so, yeah, it's quite a bit of study. And then 
again, the challenge of making a ancient message, which is true for all time, but making it relevant and contemporary for today's audience. Again, using that uh, story I just told about the shepherds. Again, the shepherds are ostracized in biblical times, just like inmates and people. The criminal record are ostracized today. And yet that's who Christ came for. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And go ahead, Shane. I'm sorry. You look like you're about to say something. Well, I'm, one of my favorite uh, scriptures is in the Old Testament. And I, I want to say it's Isaiah. I could be wrong, but it's about uh, where God sends the, the the bears out to kill all the all the rug rat kids in town that are giving his his uh, his saint a hard time. Um, I feel like I mean, you'll be able to tell it better than I. I, I probably messed that up. But I love to go back and reread that because it makes me laugh. And it also makes me think I. Oh my gosh, God killed all these kids with these bears. Like how brutal. Um, so give us some context here. You, 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 if you, if you're into, if you've read the Hebrew and the, and the, uh, you know, you can, you can maybe give me some context that I've never been able to consider about that, about that passage. Yeah. I think you're talking about the, the prophet Elisha, no, Elijah, I think. Elijah. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yes. So this is uh, my thing of that. So yeah, verses like that. How do you contemporize that today? is whenever, so Elijah is doing the work of God. And whenever you mock and belittle the work of God, there's serious consequences. A bear going to come and attack these kids because they, they made fun. They call them crazy bald head or something like that. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, so I would just say that, that I think even in our society, and I would say America is in a very post-Christian world now, post-Christian America, that if you choose to mock the work that God is doing, there are serious consequences to doing that. Um so I, I don't know. I, I, again, I haven't prepared 15, 20 hours and really studied that. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Um, but I would say, yeah, if there's ways today that we mock, not not some of the buffoonery and all that that we see in the name of Jesus, but some of the real work that we see done, but done in the name of Jesus, that there is some uh, there are consequences to that. Uh, I mean, one example, I mean, this is again off the top of my head. Uh, many years ago, we were starting a church and we actually met in a movie theater. And we used to play a lot of practical jokes on each other. And so on Palm Sunday, so the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, our media guy who actually would load the trailer, bring the trailer to the movie theater, we'd unload the speakers and all the gear and the microphones. He calls me and he says, hey, guess what? Um, The trailer's been stolen. And I'm like, come on, man. Quit quit playing around. It's Palm Sunday. And he's like, no, it's stolen. Like I'm standing where it's supposed to be and it's gone. And uh, so anyway, long story short, called the police, filed a report, found out that the son of a high ranking police officer who had a really bad drug addiction had actually stolen a Ford F-250 or F-350 truck and was going around stealing trailers. And he happened to see this trailer, stole it and opened it and found all this uh, professional sound equipment, speakers and microphones. And anyway, pawned it all off. And he's in jail now. And I, I was just actually, it's weird you said that. I was thinking about him today saying, I wonder whatever happened to that guy. Uh, because I think we actually wrote him a letter. We just said, hey, you know, we forgive you. We're praying for you and probably something weird to do. But we want to extend to him forgiveness, even though in the criminal setting, he was indicted and, and was sentenced and spent time in prison. So, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I forgot how I stumbled upon your Twitter feed, um, but from like the very first few that I read, you know, it, it was it was as though you were translating these, like you had said, two thousand year old um, words and stories 
and fit them in today's, you know, environment. You know, it, it, history is cyclical, right? We're, we're always going to see a little bit of the same, but to be able to capture that and, you know, put yourself on different platforms to reach out to someone that may think they're alone and, and be able to read your words is, is truly captivating. Um, it's great, great stuff. Um, one of the, one of the sermons that you had done, you talked about Psalm 15, four, and um, I, I haven't gone back to look it up. I just, you know, kind of uh, remembered a little bit of it as you were talking about it. If, if you can, um, you know, jump back into that, um, into that part, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So Psalm 15, the context is what does a, a man or woman of integrity look like? So integrity doesn't mean perfection because none of us are perfect. But what does a man or woman of integrity look like and who can worship on God's hill? That's Old Testament God's mountain. So he says in Psalm 15, 4, the one who keeps his promises, even when it hurts him. So that means if you make a commitment. So if you say, let's say you got a truck you're going to sell and you listen for, you know, $20,000 and a guy says, hey, I'll give you 18 for it. And you say, hey, sold. And he's coming to your house to, you know, pick it up. And then let's say five minutes later, another guy calls and says, hey, I saw your ad on Craigslist or whatever, and I'll give you 20,000 for it. And you're like, oh, man, do I tell the guy who offered me 18? Hey, I made a mistake. The truck's been sold. Or do I say, you know what? Hey, to the guy who offered me 20,000, hey, the truck's been sold already. You know, that's the test right there. And I think the person of integrity says to the person who offers 20, hey, sorry, the truck's been sold already. But if the guy who made the first offer falls through, let me get your number and I'll call you back. Because again, the guy who made the $18,000 offer, if you said, hey, it's sold, I'll, I'll sell it to you for that price. You've made a commitment, even if it costs you $2,000. You follow through on it um, or even, you know, other commitments. I think I made examples of, you know, if you commit to your wife, hey, we're going to go to uh, the garden center to go pick up new shrubs <laughs> this Saturday. And then Frank says, man, I got courtside tickets to Lakers versus Rockets, you know, on Saturday. And you're like, oh, do I tell my wife, hey, you know, whatever. Or do I tell Frank, hey, you know what? I've already made a commitment to my wife and you know, hurts me to say this, but you're going to have to find somebody else to go to the Rockets game with it. You know, so I think that's 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 what happens. And when we do break commitments, because I think we all do, we're the first ones to apologize, say, you know what? Yeah, I know I committed to do X and I didn't do it. So please forgive me. So, yeah, that's a person of integrity. See, and there's there's where uh, I just don't make commitments. <laughs> so that's that's how I live. I just live in the moment. Hey, what do you want to do on Saturday? What day is it? It's Thursday. Well, we'll figure that out on Saturday. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Golly. So that rolls us right into speaking of what a terrible person Shane is. That it's rolls true. us right into our next topic in that what would be help me with it Shane cuz I I messed it up earlier. It, um, if if they made a movie about your life, what would be the genre of the movie and who would play you? All right. Great question. Um, so I don't know if y'all have seen uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon with Chow Yun-Fat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when that movie came out, everyone was like, man, you look like uh, Chow Yun-Fat. Matter of fact, I was doing I was doing a I see it. I see it. In Corpus Christi, and I went for a run. So I was doing a young adult retreat with a bunch of, like, young adults and singles, and I went for a run on the beach. And next thing you know, I see this guy running next to me, and he's like, hey – 
hey, hey, you're that guy. You're that guy. Uh, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, <laughs> I, know you, I know you. I'm like, no, I'm not that guy, honestly. So I kept running. He left me alone. And I came back across the beach. And there he was, like, digging the sand castle with some of his college buddies or friends. And they're like, that's the guy. That's that guy who's in Bulletproof Monk or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a great movie, too, by the way. Bulletproof Monk was awesome. Um, <laughs> Chow Yun Fat would play me. Uh, and my movie genre would be probably like a drama action movie. And it would be similar to this. I, I told people my life story is Karate Kid. So if you remember Mr. Miyagi and Daniel Sun and Karate Kid, if you if you're Cobra enough, Kai, Cobra Kai, yeah, Cobra Kai. I mean they made it, they remade it on YouTube as well. Um, so I'm single. I'm 25 years old, I think, and 26. No, I, I just got married. I was newly married, 26 years old, and probably the most well-known black pastor in America, Dr. Tony Evans, calls me to his office and says, "Hey, I want you to be my intern." Basically, takes me under his wing. And teaches me everything he knows about preaching and about ministry and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I literally, my wife and I became a part of his family when his daughter got married. I remember the photographers like, let's all get the all the men in the picture. So it's Dr. Evans, all his sons, his brother, his grandfather, and all these people. And then they're like, oh, no, get Hickey in there too. Get Hickey in there too. So wow. I'm in the picture. Um, so I feel like Mr. Miyagi. Uh, well, Dr. Evans was Mr. Miyagi and I was Danielson. I was kind of this... Uh, I don't know, this one Asian kid at this all black church. And he just took interest in me and took me under his wing and uh, taught me everything in you. And so the soundtrack, I know that was a question you're going to ask, would be the glory of love. If you remember Karate Kid 2, that Peter Cetera song. I will fight for your honor. Oh, okay. That one? That was good. Yeah, man. That was excellent. That gave me chills. It should. That's what I do. I love it. Frank, what's your uh, what's your whole movie thing? Oh, man. Uh, that's hard to follow up. Uh, mine would probably be something silly like uh, Punch Drunk Love uh, with Adam Sandler. That would, or, that, would, that would be the genre, kind of a kind of an indie off-brand? Yeah, indie off-brand. One of those ones that gets left on the shelf at Blockbuster uh, or, you know, Video Dad or whatever they used to be called. Um, no one wants to pick up my movie. Um, however, the soundtrack would be a mix mash of like um, EDM and drum and bass with like uh heavy duty 80s hair metal um and you know polishing it off with some super obscure throat singing from the himalayas or something <laughs> somebody's I mean, got to play the didgeridoo yeah yeah absolutely who, who's who's playing you who's starring in this in this feature film direct to video um you know, it would have to be uh, the guy that came out in Willow, because I'm a little dude. Um, <laughs> the little person? Yeah, the little guy. Oh, wow. Um, you know, because he's a heavy-duty actor, man. I mean, that guy could act. Yeah. Uh, he didn't give. He didn't get the kudos that he deserves, but um, either him or maybe like uh, the guy that played the Superman TV show. Right. He had some chops, but he didn't make it in anything mainstream. Which which Superman, the the one from the 90s or the one from the double lots? Uh, the one from the 90s. I think it was the same guy that played the the guy that would get the newspaper every day 
and you know he kind of knew he catching kids at, what's that early edition yeah it's the same guy right yeah i think you may yeah. be right yeah I, I think you may be right i'll have to look Running it up around town catching kids that are falling out of trees because they had it in the newspaper that was a great show love that show crazy what about you uh mine's gonna be a dark comedy uh directed by that one guy directed by that one guy with that did that one thing with that one yeah. dude and the one uh, with the tire that's right i'm gonna go um jason bateman as as uh playing me um i don't think that's gonna be a stretch for him i think his comedic style is very much like mine although he's going to have to act uh, a lot dumber he's gonna have to dumb it down <laughs> um tarantino uh, <laughs> uh, pulp fiction that's right uh i think i think the genre of music or the style of music would probably be bluegrass covers okay okay <laughs> Just, we're gonna circle back 16 bluegrass cover bands that's that, right uh of all they do they do the entire catalog of uh 16 candles Black, uh pat benatar and air and uh and air supply nice nice i'd <laughs> watch a, that maybe a little bit of chicago in there just to you know throw back to the Ooh. the karate kid because they had some chicago going on yep they did all right man that's heavy duty uh so is your movie directed by tarantino like is it one of those very long uh no, solilo no. soliloquous movies no it would probably be directed by like uh like a guy that he mentors that is not very good and and wants to be the next Tarantino, but really the best movie he ever made was like Last Starfighter. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, my movie would be directed by either Kramer or uh, George Costanza, like the character. Definitely George Costanza. I'd love yeah. to see him on set trying to direct you. <laughs> Serenity be, now. Oh my god, I'm an architect. Art Vandelay. He's there. I have to go meet him. All right. So on to our next question. We're going to butterscotch that one. And what would your job be if you had to join the circus? And usually I ask this as an interview question. So the, the question goes, uh, the year is 1920. Um, you just turned 18 and the circus comes to town. You just so happen to run into the guy that owns the circus, and he says, you can have any job you want under my tent. Um, what job do you take? Uh, I would say I would, I've never learned how to juggle, and my best friend in high school learned how to juggle, and I tried it. Probably didn't have enough patience, so I'd want to be the guy who juggles like the flaming knives or the flaming something. I'd, I'd want to do that, yeah. That's on fun. a unicycle or just as the um just just the juggling on on foot on a unicycle let's let's, let's add a level of difficulty yes on okay. a unicycle okay. I, love well, it. I mean you said flaming knives I mean, I, <laughs> that's uh that's pretty hardcore that's awesome i like that i i uh, when i was in college in in uh, getting an art degree i painted a picture of a guy juggling things on fire on a uni on a on a unicycle that is, it is crazy. Yeah. That, is That's that, that painting is for is yours. Um, if you find it, it got stolen from me. So if you find it, you can have it, man. How many years ago was that? Well, let's see. I'm 45. I was I probably painted it when I was 25. 
maybe 26 20 years ago. Yeah. Little did you know that you'd be on this podcast and that very thing would come up again. Little did I know. Right. And it was one of my better ones. I, I got all my good stuff got stolen. The stuff I have left is like, eh. is that memory burn or is that true? You know, Ooh. that's Ooh, boy, we're gonna get into that. I like yeah. that. Yeah, it's you know, it's nice. true. It's true because I've got a buddy that I still talk to that I went to school with, and he was like, "Remember that painting? That was so awesome, man. That was one of your best ones." I'm like, thanks, man. Oh, just stab it and turn it. He's probably the one that stole it. He just likes to see the cringe on your face when he brings it up. He would. He he gets on me hard. hard he gets gives me a hard time. I'm with for everything. So, Frank, what is your um, what's your job you're gonna take there in the circus? Man, I would be the the ticket taker at the front. Uh, I love to people watch. I love to, you know, just shoot the breeze with people and kind of help people out. So that's that would be where I'm at, taking tickets. Hey, the restroom's over there, cotton candies to your left, the uh, big top and the guy that's juggling the flaming uh, swords that's straight on to you see the mailbox with the clown paint and to the left. <laughs> um, that's that's where I'm at, man. I figured you'd be the guy that trimmed the beard of the bearded lady and kind of kept her kept her nice and nice and polished. That is a job that you have to train for. Like the, <laughs> the guy that does it, ha- he he hand picks his next in line because it's that's a lot of work, man. You can't just start trimming facial hair on a woman, right? It's you know you have to learn how to condition, how to wash. There's just a lot of prep work, man. It's right. that's like a six year in training kind of ordeal that you have going on with that. Yeah. You're not you're not wrong. No. I think I think I would be the guy that throws the knives and axes at the spinning lady on the wheel. Um that would be that would be a fun to be that skilled at just at hucking uh steel. You know, you're a dangerous man. Nobody's gonna mess with you if you've got that kind of aim with an axe or a knife. So and and the the question is rooted in silly psychology. I'm not a psychologist never gone to school, but I like to read about different personalities and stuff. So the characteristics that that uh, you describe kind of give me a little bit of insight into who you who you are, you know, the the flaming knives and everything. You like the attention you um, love for, uh, you know, kind of people to be in awe of your of your actions. Right. And Shane, you're you're just trying not to hurt anyone with really sharp things, right? And then you're taking a huge gamble because that spinning wheel is going. You've either had a lot of practice or a lot of limbs have been, you know, hung oh, yeah. on the ground. Oh, yeah. I, by that point in time, I've gone through a lot of assistance. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, that, that part of the job, the person on the other side, the gal, the gal spinning around, um, her days are numbered if I'm throwing knives. Yeah, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. But, you know, and then you said you're, you're, you're jumping on a unicycle. So you're comfortable. You're very comfortable being in front of people, paying attention to you and giving them their money's worth. Right. But also, but also there's the danger aspect of it. Right. And there's the stress load and there's the anxiety that a, a, a common man would have. Whereas, Whereas you're, you would be in the most comfortable place. Yeah, that's a lot of skill. That is for sure. People say that uh, one of the greatest fears that people have is speaking in front of people. 
And, you know, I mean, I quote, do it for a living. So I'm in front of people all the time. And, you know, I, I hope that I'm not trying to impress people and wow people and all that. Um, but I do try to make the message relevant and connect with people where they are. So, yeah, I, I, um, I think people ask me, do you get nervous before you speak in front of people? And I say, I, I really don't. Uh, I almost get like a nervous energy. Like, I don't know if you ever in playing sports, you remember that feeling of, man, I can't wait to get on the field, but you're also kind of like, man, when that first hit comes or when I, you know, that first pitch or whatever. Yeah. So it's almost like a nervous energy. Like I'm, I'm like a racehorse sitting in the whatever stall is ready to go. So anyway, yeah, I, I felt the Maybe same. Your analysis is correct. I felt that I felt that exact same, same thing a few years ago when I decided to get into old man softball. Um, and I hadn't played any sport for years other than uh, disc golf. And man, I was, I was pumped. <laughs> That's not a sport. <laughs> Look it up on YouTube. That's a sport. People make money and they have sponsors. It's major, li- major league wiffle ball. Yep. Amen. Yeah. Get wild thing playing. Um, but yeah, I got up there to bat and my first at bat, you know, in 20 years. And I was, I was with all these guys and they do it every weekend. I'm like, I'm going to look like, and they're all younger than me. I'm like, I'm going to look like an idiot. And I went up there, bam. Uh, you know, my, I still had the skill to, to put wood to the ball. And uh, I got a good hit, got a base run out of it and absolutely jacked my ankle on first base going at full speed. And uh, I hobbled the rest of the season. <laughs> so, you, you know, you talk about that nervous energy. I read a book, I think it was 12 Rings um, by that guy that coached the Lakers back in the day when um, Kobe was there. And I think even Shaq was there. But his, his name is, is Phil Jackson. You need to okay. understand the name. I was going to say Brian Mark. McKnight, but no. thank you. Thank Phil you. Jackson is one of a true American hero. OK, you got to have that. So in his book, you know, he talks about nervous energy and how different people deal with it. You know, sometimes that nervous energy can break you down and get you your nerves are shot and you can't go through with what you're supposed to do. But, you know, professional athletes and and people that do things day in and day out, they've trained their mind to take that nervous energy and and use it as adrenaline. Um, and so you, you have that itch to perform or to, um, excel to the next level because of that nervous energy. And, you know, the rest of us that are, you know, we're driving down 610 to work. That's our adrenaline rush, you know, (laughs) NASCAR on 45 or 610. It's like, I made it. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, they were burned out by the time we get to work. So <laughs> we're like, Whew, I can't believe I made it. Time, time for a nap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's really funny that you brought that up. I think that's awesome. You know, talk about that nervous energy and, you know, how you, um, how you put it to work for you to make you uh, a better uh, communicator out there. You know, you're translating these words, you're, you're reading the audience and, you know, the, the words are flowing through you. Um, you create that flow state so that you can, you know, reach out to people and let them know that they're not alone. Um, so great. So that rolls us right into, uh, man, this thing is rolling nicely. Other than me cutting you off earlier, Shane, I, it's just like, it's going, man. Like one thing right after another. So it, it wouldn't be a Frank and Shane podcast if you didn't cut me off two or three times. I mean, it has to. I, I, and, yeah. you know, and that's yeah, fine. I do the same thing to you. It's fun. It's fun. It has to be done. 
Um, so the next topic we're jumping into is um, how do you deal with the root and not just the fruit? So this was in one of Mr. Soma's uh, sermons. And, you know, I, I've watched, uh, truthfully, maybe about four or five of them because, um, you know, I, I didn't know that you had YouTube sermons. I just kind of followed you on Twitter. I was just like, oh, OK, this is this is interesting. Um, and that phrase and that, that little saying kind of it, it really reached out to me, you know, because, so, you know, earlier we we're talking about um, finding forgiveness. And I think we jumped over, you know, battling your inner demons. But we kind of touched on it when we we're talking about um, working with inmates and, you know, people that are going through different uh, struggles. But also, you know, how do you dig down to the root? Like, how do you go and, you know, really help people find the cause of the of the issue? Right. Yeah, I think, you know, it's that uh, thing. Um, well, I can't remember the name of the author, but the big thing nowadays is why get to the why. Oh, yeah. Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek. Yes. The why. And so that's why I always ask people is, you know, if, if you have a temper, don't just say, I've got a temper, like ask, why do I have a temper, right? And then you have to peel back the layers of the onion to get to what the root cause is. Because again, um, if you just deal with the symptoms, right, and you don't deal with the root issue, then you're really not dealing with the root problem that's going to come back up again. So, you know, I mean, you've heard this, like at uh, AA meetings and other uh, addiction type meetings, you know, I mean, these guys are drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. So yes, they've gotten off the addiction of maybe illicit drugs or alcohol, but now they've shifted it to caffeine and nicotine, which are more acceptable um, forms of addiction. So the question goes back even further. Why am I addicted? Why do I need to feel this way? Is there a pain that I'm trying to mask from trauma years ago or from, you know, whatever the issue may be? Um, and that's why I think counseling is good. I know, you know, mental health is a very important thing for me. Uh, and I've stressed it to both Christians and non-Christians and it's someone who can help you peel back the layers of the onion and get to the root issue of why you do certain things, whether it's lying, anger, uh, breaking commitments, not committing, whatever it is. is there <laughs> get to the root issue of, you know, where um, you can deal with that issue. So there's a new book by Dan Heath, uh, Chip and Dan Heath are two brothers that wrote Made to Stick and a lot of bestsellers. And Dan Heath's latest book is called Upstream. I just started reading it uh, earlier this week. And in that book, he talks about how, you know, if you saw like if you were, I don't know, having lunch by a, a lake, I mean, a stream or a creek and someone comes down the creek and it's a little boy who's drowning and you rescue that boy and you're like, hey, you're all right. I'm all right. Then you look up and there's now another little girl. She's drowning. You rescue her. And a boy comes down and you rescue the, the, the person who is like thinking says, why these kids keep drowning upstream and you'd go upstream to find out who keeps throwing these little kids into the creek or the river and deal with that person. And so, again, that's why I just say is to peel back the layers of the onion and often it's very painful and it's hard. Uh, it's good to have a counselor, good to have a pastor or close friends help you do that and say, why, why do I have these certain behaviors, whether again, addiction, anger, lying, stealing, cheating, whatever they may be. And, you know, like I mentioned very early in the podcast, for me, the root issue is obviously uh, are you spiritually alive in Jesus or are you spiritually dead? As the Bible says, uh, the wages of sin is death, that we're separated from God because of our sin. So are you spiritually alive and do you have a, a connection with God through Christ that allows you to 
you know, live better, you know, live like Christ, or there's still root issues that are really entrenched in you that God needs to deal with and root out. So, yeah. sure, sure. So I was, I've been reading, and right around the time that I came across your um, your Twitter feeds, um, I started reading a book called Nudge by Leonard Sweet, um, and it's it's about evangelism, and you know I, I think a lot of the the things that drew me into wanting to talk to you because so I used to work at uh, women's down in the medical center, and so. I think I would drive by your city of refuge and I, I would want to stop in. Oh, excuse me. I almost sneezed. Um, and so there he goes, get some came out. So I, you know, I was, I was right down the road from you and, and I don't know if that's where you're, where you were located, but I was like, man, it would be so great to stop by and talk to this guy because a lot of the stuff that he's saying, you know, uh, some some um, preachers and and people that read gospel to others, they're fixated on wanting to speak with people that are you know just you know they have tons of money and something that that is going to be done for them on the back end of going and you know talking to them. But uh, in in that book Nudge, you know he talks about needing to first and foremost reach out to you know. Uh, non-believers to, to say, Hey man, you know, I don't hate you. Uh, I'm not perfect. Um, just I'm, I'm here if you need to talk, you know, and, and that's, that's all I want to do. I'm not, I'm not trying to force feed you my religion. I'm not trying to, um, you know, convert you or anything like that. I just want you to know that I'm here to talk. And, and in doing that, you know, it, it, he, he talked about planting a seed, right? You, you're planting an idea of love and forgiveness and, and the ability to go out beyond the curtain of what our normal every day to day, you know, teachings might be, you know, let's, let's stay within the herd of only believers and kind of keep the castaways outside of that curtain, you know, and it, 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 it was very moving. And then, you know, reading your stuff and, and how you talk and, and everything is just it's so, um, you know, brings everything down to earth, makes it understandable. Like your, your religion is not a burden to you. It is, it is a gift that you're able to share with others. And I think that's very powerful stuff, um, to be able to, welcome anyone and everyone and still see goodness in people that are, you know, maybe behind bars or that have done bad things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's this thing. Have you ever met a woman who just got engaged, who you have to tell, Hey, tell everyone that you just got engaged, put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, show off your ring. You don't have to because there's such excitement about this relationship that she's in. So I tell people the same thing that, you know, for Christians, if Jesus really is the most important relationship you have, I mean, you're just going to radiate it. I mean, you know, you're going to tell people about it, not because you're forced to, not because your pastor says, hey, tell tell 12 people who don't know Jesus, try to convert them. It's just, hey, Jesus changed my life. Just like a woman who just got engaged has had her life radically altered he's changed my life. And, um, I know he can, uh, he loves you and, um, can do the same for you as well. So yeah, that's, 
That's all I am. Amen, As brother. One missionary says, I'm just a beggar who found bread, who's now telling other people where to find bread. Oh, yeah. Man. I dig so that. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. So what's our uh, what's our next topic there, Franklin? So and it sounds bad, right? Because we're some of the stuff that we're just talking about. But I wanted to talk about something called memory burn, right? So everybody's had this story or this thing that's happened to them, something they saw, and you were there to witness whatever it was. You know, a, a tire going down forty-five on fire because the eighteen-wheeler had just lost it and it passed you up doing sixty, right? Um, when in reality, you know, this 12 years ago, it was like a donut that was on fire in the ditch and you just happened to be going fast and it looked like it was an 18 wheeler tire coming by you. But, um, you know, our, our memory plays tricks on us all the time. It's, it's hard enough because we don't get any sleep, but what's, what's a story that really stuck with you that maybe in that memory burn category? Uh, so when I was a kid, we were in Lake Tahoe and a lot of the ski resorts there, when they're not running, they'll turn their gondolas into basically, um, things that you can ride as a tourist up to the top in. And I remember a top of a mountain and I remember going from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain, this gondola thing. And my foot got caught between the gondola and the ledge. And I remember like looking straight down and it's like this huge drop. And again, memory burn. I mean, to me, it looked like, man, if I fell through that thing, I was a goner for sure. And yeah, just that memory of having my foot stuck. And I, again, vaguely remember it, like all these men are trying to, you know, push, push the gondola away and separate it so they can get my leg out. And here I'm this little kid thinking I'm going to fall through and fall thousands of feet to my untimely death. Um, that's probably one. Wow. What about you, Shane? Is there like one of those crazy stories? Um, so I, I, I think this, my, this memory is accurate. Um, it might not be, no one was with me though. Um, I, I was moving from Oklahoma to Missouri on Christmas day. I'd gotten a job in Missouri, um, at a Mac shop, uh, not, not an Apple place, but a, a locally owned, and so I was moving from Oklahoma to Missouri. I had everything packed up that I owned in my pickup. I was leaving my fiance in Oklahoma. She, uh, she was still going to school uh, there at the University of Central Oklahoma. So she was going to stay there for a year and then she was going to come up to Missouri. And on the way up, there was a blizzard. Now, it's about a, I don't know, if you're really trucking, you can probably make it in six and a half hours, maybe seven. Um, it took me 10 hours and I couldn't see the road about 80% of the drive. I, I remember having way too much hubris and confidence in my driving. So I'm trucking at 35 miles an hour. Uh, up, I think it was I-40 at the, at the time. And I see all these cars up front and they're all going maybe 20. And I'm like, I'm not going to do 20, man. I'm trying to make it to Missouri. I got to get up to Kansas. I got to hang a right. Like I'm not waiting around for this. And there was this huge line of cars. It was probably like eight or nine cars. And so I decided to pass them. So I pass them and I get to the front and there's a highway patrol at the front. And I'm like, oh, do you, do I pass a highway patrol? I mean, I'm only going 35, but is it reckless endangerment? Like what's, what's this look like? This guy's obviously leading all these cars through the snow. Poor guy. What a saint. And so I kind of pull up right up to him 
And I look over out my window and he looks up at me and I just kind of give him a little wave and he gives me a little wave and I, okay, I, I bump it from 20 to 35 and I keep on going. Nice. Very nice. I don't know what his perspective was of that. Uh, he probably was hating life, but uh, that was my perspective. I thought it was the coolest thing. Wow. So mine was, uh, it was back when I lived in San Antonio. Uh, me and my wife were driving from San Antonio to Austin. And, you know, I think we we may have been speeding. I think back then the speed limit was like 60 or so right there on 35. And me and my wife were having this like, it wasn't an argument so much as a disagreement, I guess. And we just so happened to have these um, magazines um, that were, you know, like day trip, what to do in Austin, because we we're going to go visit my mom and then, you know, go do something else. And she just happens to roll one of these things up and she starts whacking me and I'm driving at the time, you know, so she's hitting me over the head. A state trooper pulls us over. And he's like, he's charging the side of the car. I'm like, oh my God. You know, I'm telling my wife, I was like, what did you do? He immediately asks her, is everything okay? And I'm like, what about me? She was hitting me. Why are you, <laughs> you know, why aren't you asking me if I'm okay? And he's just like, sir, get out of the car. I was like, oh, oh my God. My wife had to tell him like, I was just, we were joking. I was hitting him with the magazine. You know, everything is okay. I was like, I don't have any problem getting out because she's already getting on my nerves. You know, I'm like trying to turn this whole thing into a joke because I'm like, this guy is taking me to jail. He probably thinks I kidnapped her, whatever. So I'm sitting on the back and he's asking her like a hundred questions, you know, I guess trying to break down if if she's really in trouble or whatever. <laughs> so he comes back there to where I'm at. He's like, hey, take your wife and do whatever she wants to do today. And I was like, she told you she was hitting me with those day trip magazines, right? Yes. You need to don't do that while you're taking a dangerous vehicle down 35. He's like, this is my highway, son. Don't do that. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my goodness. You know, so I get back in the car and I'm driving away. And as he pulls up next to us, I don't know if you remember from like Meet the Fockers where the dad's like, <laughs> he's doing that number you know with the fingers to the eyes thing i'm just like dude come on um but yeah my wife still is just like every time we're driving down uh you know together if we're on i-10 or you know busy freeway she's like don't mess with me i'll hit you with something in the car we'll get pulled over right now she's <laughs> like don't do it i'm just like oh my goodness but yeah there's just like crazy stuff and I don't remember if the state trooper, like he, he was just like this big, scary guy. You know, of course everybody's big to me because I'm like five, nothing almost. He's just like this towering guy with that crazy hat. You know, it was like, what's the problem here? And I was like, Oh man, come on. Nothing's, nothing's happening. I'm sorry. But, uh, he, he probably thought he had pulled over the cartel, man. He was ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> yeah. So I had a I had a sweet 
uh, it was like a 2000 blazer or something. It oh, was that is absolutely excellent. cartel stuff. That's what yeah. they throw the drugs in once they dig through the tunnels, man. Absolutely. Yep. That that's it is what it is. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna um what's we're gonna butterscotch, Starbucks, Butter whatever. We're gonna move on to the next one. So in today's dad's corner, um, we're gonna talk about what is or for your kids, you know, they're watching you, they're watching your moves, they're watching what you say, they're listening to what you say. Um, so more more is being caught than taught. And this was, you know, another, another, um, you know, group of words. Uh, I can't, can't find my words today. What, what would you call a saying, I guess, or a, um, a yeah, euphemism? Yeah. Euphemism. There you go. Thank you. $10 word over there. Boom. Uh, so a euphemism for how we're, how we're teaching our kids. You know, we talk about, um, how we're raising them and what we're doing them, what we're doing with them to make them better people, certainly better than us because the next generation has to be better. Um, but, you know, can, can you talk a little bit more about that, Mr. Soma? Yeah. So I think, you know, we, we can tell our kids, <clears throat> Hey, respect authority, respect your teachers, respect your coach. You know, and then when we're having dinner at the dinner table and your wife says, hey, honey, how, honey, how was work today? And you say, man, my boss is an idiot. Like, I can't believe he's the CEO, the VP, whatever it is, man. You know, he he doesn't know a profit and loss sheet from a whatever Excel spreadsheet or whatever it may be. And you 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 disrespect your boss, but you keep telling your son or your daughter, hey, you know what? You should always respect your coach or respect authority or respect your teachers, but they see you and hear you saying those kinds of things, right? Or even, you know, if you've got a, a, a boy and you say, hey, always treat women respectfully, but then you're always speaking to your wife in a very condescending way or a very um, um, sarcastic way, whatever, you know, then he thinks that's all right to do. And, and obviously, you know, if, if, if there's any kind of physical abuse, then he thinks that's all right as well. So, that's why I just tell people that more is caught than taught. So you can try to teach your kids all the right things to do, but they're watching you. And it's not the things that, again, when you're like robbing a bank or whatever, it's the things that you do every day that they're watching, you know? So like one example I've heard many times, and I'm not trying to front anybody out, bust anybody out, but you know, you can tell your kids like, Hey, always do the right thing. But if you've got a, a radar detector in your car Basically, what you're telling your kid is, hey, you know what? It's all right to break the law and to do wrong things just as long as you don't get caught and try to avoid getting caught. And again, you're not sending your mess that messes your kids, you know, verbally. You're not saying, hey, you, you know, just break the law, do wrong things, just don't get caught. You're telling him basically, you know, in a, in a, uh, what you're by your actions, you know, I can tell you that with my words. Uh, I always joke saying it this way you become like a bad, if you remember those Kung Fu movies that came from China and they came to the U S Hong Kong, you know, ha, you fight me. I kill. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We should have had wish, you do our commercial. That would have been, I excellent. wish our listeners could see this on video. That yes. was, that was the oh, coolest thing I, that made that one thing made this entire week worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, <laughs> words and actions don't match. And so that's what I tell people is that if you, Say one thing and you're doing something different. You're like a bad kung fu, a poorly dubbed kung fu movie. Your words and your actions don't match. 
and your kids are going to see your actions more than they hear your words. So yes, fathers do that. And when you are inconsistent, you should be the first one to say to your son or daughter or to your wife or whoever, you know what? Hey, I know dad said he was going to take you to the ball game. And I've always told you, follow through in your commitments, right? Psalm 15, four, even if it hurts, follow through in your commitments. And you know what? Dad uh, had a work project he forgot about, had to do that. And I broke that commitment. Will you forgive me? I promise I'll make it up to you by taking you to the ball game on Friday night or something like that. So they see that. They, they see when you are not consistent with what you say or what you do is with what you say. So when that happens, to be the first one to say, you know what? Hey, will you forgive me? My bad. Uh, because, again, hopefully you're teaching them that as well, that in life you are going to make mistakes. You are going to break promises and not always follow through. And when you do, you don't play it off. You know, you ask for forgiveness. So yep. that's that's right on. And I think yeah. you I, I think you've tapped on something really pure and true there. Like if I think about my dad or I think about my grandpa or, or even, you know, my grandma, those that have died, I don't I don't remember always the words they said to me or the lessons they were trying to teach. I remember who they were and how they acted and how they behaved and how that influences me. And I, um, you know, I don't know that I ever verbalized it or recognized the truth in, in, in what you're saying there, but it really is. So as a, as a father, it might be more important uh, for me to behave in a way that I would want my children to grow up and emulate than to try and tell them do this thing because this is what's going to make you, uh, uh, a good person or, or, or have a healthy relationship or, or have a better uh, relationship with Christ. If I'm telling them uh, Christ is important, but I'm not, I'm not making any effort, right? Why is it going to be important to them? If I'm telling them it's important to, to uh, honor your mom and I don't honor her, what, how is that? In, how are they going to behave whenever they're married? You know, right on, man. That's good. Yeah. You remember the Christmas story? Yes. And you remember when he goes, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right? And then his parents punish him. But then he's like sitting there in his mind because he's like, I've heard my dad say that word bazillion times, right? And so when they're like, where'd you learn that word? Where you? you know, it's like, I don't want to say dad because I'm going to get, you know, whooped on or whatever. But so I just, you know. So, yeah, I think kids see that inconsistency and more is caught than taught. So, yeah. I think that's, that's cool. a good euphemism. Yeah, it yeah. that reminds me too of Matilda when the, you know that movie about that little girl with the special powers. You know, she um, she seeks revenge on her dad because her dad's like, you know, bad people need to be taught lessons, right? And so you know, she started messing, with, glued his hat glued his hat to his head and like put peroxide in his uh aqua velva and stuff like that it's just classic classic stuff perfect examples um so that brings us to the to the end of the show uh thank you so much mr soma um you know if there's anything you know how can uh you know people start following you on your twitter account um youtube um you know if if they're ever at a rockets game you know how can they wave at you from the stands stuff like that um you know take the platform and you know give us give us something good to think about for the week maybe even yeah so um i would say on twitter and instagram it's at ikkisoma ikkisoma all one word ikkisoma and then on Facebook, uh, Facebook slash or backslash Ikisoma, all one word, if they want to add me on there. 
And a lot of people call me their social media pastor because I typically post something, like you said, Frank, uh, something to inspire them or something very relevant in their lives. So like one I posted recently was, you know, unforgiveness is the only prison that locks and unlocks from the inside. You know, so if you're Ooh. held to the unforgiveness and bitterness, you've got nobody to blame but yourself. And you're giving those who've hurt you and offended you more power over you when you choose not to forgive them. So, you know, I post stuff like that just to encourage people. Um, so that's the way they can do that. Um, at Rockets games, I- I'm usually not there. So I get there about two hours before tip off, invite the player uh, players and coaches to, to chapel and then chapels one hour before tip off. And generally, I'll stay for games if my family's with me. And so there's a couple players that I've gotten to know well. One of them in particular, when he plays against the Rockets, uh, his wife will say, hey, do you guys want tickets? And so we'll get tickets and I'll bring the whole family. Um, But yeah, so if you see me probably an hour before tip off, hang out in Toyota Center, look for the guy that looks like Chai Yun-Fat. And uh... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man. Uh, my my question that I've been waiting this whole time to say is, what are the odds that uh, after this you block Frank on Twitter? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I, now that he's heard one or more of my of the podcast, you know, right. he's like, Ooh. I mean, I'm I'm on Twitter, but I don't use it because uh, I think social media is the devil. But um, I can see where it might be uh, good for good for y'all. Uh, but I, I feel like immediately after this, you're going to go on there and be like, that Frank guy, beep, beep, done. Block that guy. Are those the noises that Twitter makes? Beep, beep. The, yeah, in my, in my brain. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I don't use it, but beep, boop, beep, boop, boop, boop. I, think, I really think, you know, uh, like you said earlier, Frank, about uh, Nud, I think as Christians, um, we need to listen to, accept everyone and not be like, hey, I'm just going to stay in my lane and only listen to other Christians who believe what I believe and to widen our lane. And so um, I don't think, I think I've blocked one person in my entire Twitter lifetime over what, 10 years. That was me. Uh, (laughs) And I've got a very wide array of friends on uh, all platforms. So uh, ethnicity, political persuasion, generations. uh, So, and I usually don't, if people try to get into it, various issues with me. Like I'm not one to get into issues on Twitter or social media. Yeah. You want to get into it with me, like, hey, let's grab coffee, grab lunch, and we can talk face to face. But I often find over social media, it's not a very healthy place to do that. So, yeah. No, you want, yeah. you want those things on live time. You don't want those things. Yeah. You can, cause you know, it's not for anybody's benefit, right? No. Yeah. Nobody. And so, real quick before we let you go, too, what is, one of the players, maybe one of their favorite sermons or or stories from the Bible, um, you know, or or whenever you're you're uh, reaching out to them, maybe one of them's in a bad spot, and you know they come up, hey, you know, Mister Soma, you know, put some, lay some words on me, you know, give me some give me some of that knowledge. What's uh, what's one of your go to stories that you might uh, throw at them? You know what. Um... The one that always rocks my world is whenever I do messages on being a good father. So not all the players are fathers, but several are. And I, I'm I'm convinced, like, so usually chapel's 15 minutes, and then they go back to warming up or go back to the locker room. But sometimes guys will hang out afterwards. And a couple of the fathers on the team afterwards will hang out. And I'm convinced that if they had a choice, if God said, hey, I, I'm giving you a choice about being a great dad or making the Hall of Fame, like, which do you want? Those guys would choose being a great dad or maybe even a, a NBA championship. Hey, becoming an NBA champ and being a great dad 
which would you choose? And I would say all the messages I've done on fatherhood, these guys are like, yeah, you know what? The most important thing I can leave is not an NBA championship, uh, but being a really great dad to my kids and leaving a legacy that outlives me beyond championships and rings and all-star nods and Hall of Fame kind of stuff. Because, you know, fame is fleeting. Um, there's a very famous Rockets player um, that uh, every now and then I'll walk in behind him to the Toyota Center and no one recognizes him. Like, I'm literally like, he's one of the top 50 greatest players of all time. We're walking from the garage to the Toyota Center and there are fans that literally walk by him and just see a tall, older black man and don't even recognize who he is. And I'm like, man, that's like, you know, like, one of the, that's, that's, you know, anyway. So it's Elvin Hayes. I always say, man, that's Elvin Hayes. Elvin like, Hayes. he's like the greatest players of all time. I mean, before Carl Malone, before Tim Duncan, I mean, he was the guy, but no one recognized him. And one day, you know what? Russell Westbrook, James Harden, uh, anybody, they're, they're, no one's going to recognize him. They're, there'll be a faint memory in people's lives. And so I think for a lot of them, that's the big the big one is, I want to be a great dad. That's awesome. Deep. That's deep. And I also feel like I'm a, a faint memory in people's eyes all the time. So I can, I can appreciate that. That's for sure, dude. Memory burn. Hardcore. Hardcore. <clears throat> yep. All right. So thank you so much, everyone, for hanging out with us tonight. Um, and I, I can't thank you enough, uh, Mr. Soma, for taking the time. Uh, you know, we're, we're a couple of knuckleheads that just like to talk shop and, you know, maybe maybe throw a couple of things out there into the world and see if that spaghetti noodle sticks to the wall, you know? Icky man, it's good to it's good to meet you, man. You're you're a good guy. I'm really glad you were on the show. Um, I appreciate your time. Yeah, Shane, thanks for the invite. Uh, thanks for even talking a little bit of baseball before we got on. So, appreciate oh yeah, well, I, that was probably the best part of the conversation. We should have been recording the entire time. I thought you said the kung fu mouse thing was the best. Part oh, that was the funniest thing I've. <laughs> I said that's the funniest thing I've heard this week. Oh, but I, but you have to see it though. Yeah, right? that's one of those things you really do have to see. That was God, awesome. God has blessed you with the talent, back. my friend. He's blessed you with the talent, and I think, um, you know, the Bible says that you need to utilize your talents for the, for the good of people. So you need to hook that up on your on your YouTube. Just do it one time. Yeah, and then and then text me and let me know which one because I have to see that again. It was good. Yes, absolutely, okay. good stuff. All right. Thank you. He says, I'm just a beggar who found bread, who's now telling other people where to find bread. Do, do you mean the mandolin? Sure. Whatever you want to call it, bro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can put titles on whatever you want, man. It's still a little guitar. Even the suburban life is almost a little too hectic for me. I'm, I, when I was a kid, I grew up five miles out of a small town in the middle of the woods. Um, so that's where my soul yearns to get back to. Maybe when I retire and I don't have to feed my family or something. I don't know. And next thing you know, I see this guy running next to me and he's like, hey, 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 you're that guy. You're that guy. Uh, like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, <laughs> I, know you, I know you. I'm like, no, I'm not that guy, honestly. So I kept running. He left me alone. And I came back across the beach and there he was. I'm digging the phone cap with some of his college buddies or friends. And they're like, that's the guy. That's that guy who's in Bulletproof Monk or something like, you know, hi. You fight me, I kill. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome.